we got to pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. Again we pray. O Father Almighty, hear the prayers of your humble people who come before you, for you know that we have needs, and you know what we will ask even before we voice our requests. But grant that when we voice our requests to you, we may be, uh, in, we may be enlightened by what you say in your promises, and that our prayers are not truly ours, but yours. All of this, O Lord, we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Okay, um, we're on a time limit today. Okay. So, oh, we are. Yeah, because we have to end a little bit early because we've got a prayer service at 11 o'clock. <laughs> if you didn't know about that, now you do. If you're here already, you might as well stay because they're serving lunch afterwards. So if you want to, so if you want to, yeah. So and the ladies, uh, the ladies put on a good lunch. So um, come, pray, stay, eat. Come to church tomorrow. Stay again. Eat some more. Yeah. Uh, good weekend. Yeah. This is uh, see. This is what the church is all about. We get together. We learn. We go to church. We pray, and then we eat. So you, uh, you know, in the old days, you planned to stay in church for your whole Sabbath day. It wasn't Sabbath day morning and then nap in the afternoon. It was you go to church, and church is four to six hours, and then after that, everybody gets together and has a meal together. Because we talked about this in the Ministerial Alliance just this week, because there was a pastor in Africa who came to visit, or uh, somebody that one of the pastors knows that went to Africa, and he. He preached for an hour and then sort of signaled like he was done. And they're like, oh, we're used to about four hours of preaching. And he said, oh, okay. Uh, because some of them walk three hours to get to church. So they think, well, if I'm going to walk three hours, then we'll, let's make it worth it to spend the whole day there at church. So they, there's a meal after every service, and the church is like a whole little community. So, so um, that's my pitch to you. It's never a bad idea to stay for prayer and stay for a meal. Um, so... This is confession and absolution. We're sort of on the tail end of this. So just remember that forgiveness comes from God, not from men. So um, any evangelical brothers and sisters of ours that say, well, your pastor can't really forgive sins because God is the one that forgives sins. You say, well, you know, you're kind of right, actually. I agree with you. Only God does forgive sins. But God, how does God forgive sins now? That's the big question. How is it that God forgives sins? How does God choose to work? Because God chooses to work through means, and the means that he has established for, excuse me, for the forgiveness of sins is the apostolic office. So God does forgive sins, but he does it through his apostolic office. So even though I'm speaking words, they aren't my words, and I'm really not the one who's speaking, and I am certainly not the one who is forgiving. Now, if you and I have a personal grievance, then I will forgive you your personal grievance as I pray that you will forgive me uh, my grievance against you, but that is just Christian reconciliation moving past the grievances and, and moving forward and not letting grievances define the relationship. That isn't the apostolic divine absolution, which only God can offer. Okay? Pastors function in the stead and by the command of Christ. In the stead means um, Jesus is here, but you're looking at me. But I'm in the stead of Jesus, so when you look at me, you're looking at Jesus. And at the command, which means I have to do this. If somebody says, I want to confess to you and I want to be absolved, then I have to do it. I don't get to say, well, another time or later or whatever. I, if I can't do it that very minute, I have to say, well, let's, 
put it on the calendar, we'll, we'll make a point of me setting aside time. But typically what I will do is I'll say, well, let's, I'll push some of this stuff back because confession and absolution is more important. So that's a lesson that I've learned since being here, by the way, because I had a conversation just yesterday about this. Carolyn and I consider this to be the South. I know people here consider this to be the Midwest, but we sure don't. Uh, this is the South to us. People here talk with the drawl. Like, like Western movie drawl, not Deep South drawl, but like, I'm gonna go to the grocery store, you need anything? <laughs> Don't forget, I gotta bring my gun with me too, because you never know. <laughs> okay, uh, so this is sort of South, and another, another evidence for that. Oh, they turned that, can you go around the corner and have them? There's a light, the, the final switch in that room there is the lights in here. Around the corner in the fellowship hall, um, the other thing that proves that this is the South is how you all, how y'all, uh, <laughs> uh, operate according to time. Where I come from, time is like this. And here, time is like this. <laughs> so, so that's something that I've learned is your day doesn't have to be like that. It's okay to say I've got something scheduled, but this is more important now and they'll understand when I call them and tell them I'm running late, which I have done before and I always call and say I'm late and they go, oh, that's just fine, come whenever. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, this is the South, all right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, the pastor is the ear and the mouth and the hands and the feet of Jesus. Remember, that's why the pastor vests. That's why the vestments are so long uh, because what you need to see are hands that are going to, you know, Make the, the name of Christ and, and touch you, the mouth that's going to speak to you, the ear that will hear your confession, that is the tomb where sins go to die, and the feet that will carry Jesus to you. That's all that you ever need to see of the man because those are the only parts of the man that matter. Nothing else matters. I could wear, you know, I could wear a Zorro mask for the whole service and that would be fine. Batman, I'd choose a Batman. <laughs> but, so I could wear that through the whole service um, I choose not to because it would probably be a distraction, but I could because the only thing that you need to see are my ears and my mouth, okay? Um, now, I want to get to a question before we move on to the next topic, and the question is, if I confess my sins in prayer, is that as good as going to hear, going to confess into the ear of the pastor that is the tomb where sins go to die and receiving absolution then? And it's a good question thematically. It's a bad question the way it's worded, and I'll tell you why. Because if you ever have to ask, is this in the church as good as this in the church, then you start establishing a hierarchy of the gifts that God gives. And none of the gifts that God gives are better or worse than any of the other gifts. So is prayer better or worse than confession and absolution? I mean, it's apples and oranges. They're both fabulous. You can't hardly compare them. So. I would say, is confession in your, in your prayers with the Lord as effective as confessing to the pastor? Well, yes and no. Does the Lord hear your confession? Yes. Um, do you have the promise of the forgiveness of sins that the Lord has given you? Yes. In fact, if you look in the hymnal through different places, you'll see that there are certain services, specifically the daily offices, 
where, like uh, Compline on 253 in the hymnal, which is the one you pray before you go to bed, and it's supposed to be prayed corporately between at least two people, and the very beginning of it is one person confessing their sins to the other, and the other saying, the Lord has promised that you have forgiveness. They're not pronouncing absolution. They're not saying, in the stead and by the command of Christ, I forgive you. They're saying, the Lord has promised that your sins are forgiven, which the Lord has promised. You go to sleep with the, with the hope and the trust that the Lord says, I have died for the forgiveness of your sins. And then it switches, and the other person confesses, and the other person. But that's not something you need a pastor for, because that's just clinging to the promises of God, which you can do in your prayer. You can tell the Lord in your prayer, I am a sinner, please forgive me my sins. But here's, here's, here's the no part. When you are in your private prayers and you are making a confession to the Lord and you are saying, I, I am a poor miserable sinner, I'm a bear of no brain at all, there's only fluff in my ears and I keep doing things that only people with fluff for brains would do. Why do I keep doing that? I'm so, so sorry, I'm so, so sorry, please forgive me. Is the Lord listening? Yes, but, but what does it look like that he's listening? doesn't look like anything. You see that? It doesn't mean that he isn't listening because you're in your prayers, but where is he? I'm a, who am I talking? I'm talking to the Lord, but where is the Lord? Where is the Lord to listen? Whereas when you go to confession, you know where the Lord is, and the Lord's ear is right there, and you're talking to the, So you have that advantage of being able to see and touch and handle the Lord in the means that is actually really there. Here's the other part of why it's... You know, why I, I would say no, yes and no, obviously the Lord has promises, but here's the no, the no side. When you confess your sins to the Lord, and even if you can get beyond the fact that you can't see him and you're not speaking into his ear, you can say, okay, well, I know he's hearing me even if I can't see him. When you're done, does the Lord say, your sins are forgiven? Do, you, does, do the heavens open and does a dove come down and do you hear a voice from heaven say, I forgive you all your sins? Not so far. Not so far. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not saying it can't happen, but, but I try to deal in the, in, the, in the norms and the norms say it doesn't. So, no. Now, even when you're just doing like the confession and absolution from Compline where one person confesses to the other and vice versa. Even there, it's still another person that you're talking to, and it's another person that says to you from outside yourself, hey, your sins are forgiven because God promised that he was going to forgive your sins, so rest in the promises of Christ. And it's a whole lot different to hear another voice tell you that externally than it is for you to walk away going, well, I confess my sins to God in prayer, and I know that he's going to forgive me, and it's just you telling yourself that. The, the, the issue with faith is that faith needs something that's external to work on it. So while you can confess your sins and trust in the absolution of Christ in your prayers, you're missing certain aspects like the external means that the Lord has provided. So uh, it's like, I don't know, oh, that's a bad example, never mind. You, uh, I'm trying to think on the fly of, a, of an illustration I can use and one's not coming, but you... You have the promises of Christ, sure, but you also have the means that he has said, hey, I've established this for you so that you can go to confess here, so that you do have a means, so that you can uh, bring this to light to me. Come on in, Bill. There's treats there if you want some. 
so that you can uh, give this to me and so that I can with my own mouth speak this word to you and you can hear it externally and let something from outside work on you that way. It's like uh, going, going through a corn maze and saying, and I'm saying, you're really, you know, it's the, the better way to do it is to take the map that we have and you say, no, 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 I'll make it to the end just fine. I don't need the map. And then you think, well, maybe I can make it to the end, but they're providing me with the map, so why wouldn't I take it? Does that, so does that answer your question? Confess, still confess your sins and acknowledge yourself before the Lord in prayer, but don't let that be something that then says, it's as good as, which then means I can replace. Because what you don't want to do is say, well, if the Lord hears my sins in prayer and I can trust in his words of absolution, why do I need to go confess my sins and hear absolution then? So you never want those two things to be opposed because they're not meant to be opposed. They're meant to be uh, equals but different. Okay? Good. And I'm going to be charitable and not think that that question was intended to get out of private confession and absolution. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just teasing you, Seth. I know it wasn't. <laughs> that was a very good question. It was a very good question and one that I, I never thought even to talk about. So. I'll have to add you into my notes for when I revise the course. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll give you some of the royalties. <laughs> of all the royalties I make, I will give you what is right. <laughs> but you know, 25% of zero is still zero, so, so bragging rights are what you'll get. <laughs> all right. Um, <sighs> We need to talk about the word now, okay? Uh, and just as a refresher, the word is a, not a thing, person. a person. If you don't learn anything else, you must learn that the word is person. It isn't thing. So this that you have here, your Bible, you can look at this, and what would we call this? This is the? Word of the Lord, okay, sure. Um, but it, it doesn't mean that when we talk about the Word, that it is only these things. Um, these things come from the person of the Word. These are a reflection and, ma and a manifestation of the Word. The Greek manuscripts are a reflection of the Word, which is why um, this is a really neat thing. So even in the time of Augustine, there were different manuscripts um, because people would copy. And every now and then there would be just a little bit of a, a typo or they would change a word slightly so that you could look and they would say, oh, this is little commentary. And they would write it off in the side. And so you have all these manuscripts. Um, and every now and then there would be one where it was from a completely different side of the, of the country or the world. And you'd look at it and says, well, in this one Jesus says yes. And in this one Jesus says no. Which one is the Bible? And Augustine says, why are you asking such a dumb question? They're both the Bible. In this one, this is the word of God, and this is what Jesus says. In this one, this is the word of God, and this is what it means when Jesus says no. They're not contradictory, even though Jesus says yes in one and Jesus says no in the other, because it's the word of God. And when the word of God works, the word of God is what it says. So Augustine always says, well, what's the big deal? I don't understand what your, big, I don't understand what, what your fuss is about. Uh, it's the Word of God. Now, I'm not saying that to make you think that the Bible you have is possibly the, the wrong Bible. 
it isn't. Don't worry about that. And the, the examples that Augustine cites there are so minimal. It's like one manuscript that he encountered. So don't worry. I just think it's a funny story because you have these people that say, no, it has to be one or the other. It has to be yes or it has to be no. And you think, why? <laughs> why can't it be both? If there is so much in scripture that doesn't mean just one specific thing, then, you know, just be a little more loosey-goosey with it. It's okay. Jesus was kind of loosey-goosey. Just let follow Jesus, do what Jesus does, say what Jesus says, don't, and don't worry about it because Jesus got it. Okay, so the Word of God is not just text on a page. It is text on a page. And so in church we say, this is the Word of the Lord, and you say, thanks be to God. But what I'm saying there is the words that I read to you are the words of the Word of the Lord. That's really what that kind of means. So that's why you stand for the gospel reading, uh, because where the words and deeds of Jesus are, there is Jesus. There is Jesus. So when we read about Jesus in Capernaum healing people, and you stand for that, and you hear what Jesus says to the sick people, and you hear what Jesus does to the sick people, when does that happen? Yes, now! That's what I want you to say. I don't want you to say, what I, what I don't want you to say is, well, back when, uh, back whenever Jesus was in Capernaum, whatever year that was, you know, three, th three, no, 10, 10 AD, something like that, when he was in Capernaum. No, I mean, yes, but no, because wherever the words and deeds of Jesus are, there are the words and deeds of Jesus. So when Jesus heals, every single year, this is why the historic lectionary of the church, which is what, what we use at this church, is so important because of the repetition. Every year there's the cycle again and again and again. So every year on um, Oculi, which is this coming, which is tomorrow, the third Sunday in Lent, um, every year the reading is from Luke, and it is Jesus casting out the spirit of muteness from the man. And you say, when is Jesus casting out the spirit of muteness? Right now. <laughs> this is why, you know, we, time doesn't work the way that you think it works. Time just doesn't work that way. It's not isolated in little pockets on a timeline in a history book. Not, that's not the way that it works. Time is so fluid. And, uh, and the Lord works in all of that. So, yes, did he heal people in Capernaum in his day? Yes. But when is his day? Well, it's still happening. Jesus' day is still today. Every day is Jesus' day. So wherever the words and deeds of Jesus are, there he is, and there he's working. Um, the word is who God is. If you want to know God, then you, you know him by his word, which means more than just by the text of Scripture. So every now and then you, somebody will come out of church and they will say, thank you for feeding me with the Word. And what do they mean? Eucharist? No. Word? Be, think more like a Lutheran. <laughs> what do they mean by Word? Because, and think of the hymnal, too. I think that this is, in some ways, sort of a false dichotomy, that you have two services like subservices within the divine service, the service of the word and the service of the sacrament. And it, it creates sort of a false dichotomy in that, well, this part is about the word and this part is about the sacrament. But does that mean that the part about the word isn't about the sacrament or that the part about the sacrament isn't about the word? 
So when, very often when people will say, well, thank you for feeding me with the word, what they mean is thank you for enlightening me with the text of scripture and for proclaiming um, law and gospel and the death and resurrection of Jesus in the, uh, in the sermon. But what they're saying is, thank you for giving me Jesus. So very often they don't know what they're saying. Um, so thank you for giving me Jesus. That's why you come to church. You come to church because you want to get Jesus. Where do you get Jesus? Well, he is the word, so you get him in the word. And the whole service of the word is supposed to be going, hey, 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 I'm gonna tell you about this Jesus. You really want him, he's really good. You really... And by the time that, that all that's done, you go, oh my goodness, Jesus, Jesus, where's Jesus? I have to have Jesus. And then the servant of the sacrament, service of the sacrament says, hey, come here, Jesus is here. All that guy that the word, you know, the word came to you, the word filled your heart, the spirit was working, all of that, that's the person of the word, but that's not the person of the word in concrete form. You need the person of the word in concrete form. Now you're ready to receive him because he's been telling you all about himself. So come on up here and, you know, like Price is right, come on down and get the Lord because here he is right here. Here is the word that you actually can physically eat, not only spiritually, which is the other side of that is that thank you for feeding me with the word um, as often meant to be. Thank you. know, you didn't literally it's, you know, like Cookie Monster on Sesame Street. I didn't give you a letter that you... Arr, 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 arr. It, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you words, but you're not, you're not literally, physically masticating and swallowing and digesting the words that I'm giving you. You are receiving them spiritually and mentally, intellectually too. But you are also then in, in the divine service receiving the word physically because the word is not a thing. It is a person, and that person gives himself to you in the sacrament, in the Eucharist, his actual flesh and blood. So where do you encounter the word? Through the entire service. You encounter the word by his spirit, and you encounter the word in his body. Um, so that's, that's really important, that, that understanding the word as person, not as thing. So that when you say, how do I know God, and you say, by the word, it means more than, I read my Bible and I know about God. Now, yes, you do learn about God, but you also know God, which is to know somebody is more than to say, I know about somebody. You would never say of your spouse, um, I know about them. I mean, you do know about them, but you also know them. There's a difference. So you know the Lord by the word. The word is how he is revealed to you, which means that you know, the text of scripture is the revelation of God to man, but also the revelation of God to man is Christ, who is the icon of God. If you want to know what God looks like, who do you look at? Jesus. The Word made flesh. He, so that is the revelation of God. You want to know what God looks like. You want to know how God thinks. You want to know what God says. You want to know all these things about God. You look at the Word, the person. And the Word speaks words, which is a fascinating thing to think about. That's the, the Word of God speaks words. Um, the Lord speaks, and we listen. That's part of the introduction to the blue hymnal, Lutheran worship, which is a terrible hymnal. But the, and, but the best part of that hymnal is the 
introduction, which was written by the now sainted Norman Nagel, who is, was a professor at um, St. Louis Seminary, fabulous professor. I am 100% uh, a Nagel disciple. The way that he thinks and how he wrote and how he preached and thought about theology, I am, I am behind that. He was a very unique fellow. But the introduction is the best explanation of Lutheran worship that you will ever find, and part of that is this, the Lord speaks and we listen. And think of the Shema Yahweh from the, from the Old Testament, that is the command, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. But, but there it is, hear. Why don't we have lay readers in this church? Why don't we? We used to. I, I don't... I don't know about I don't know about what was here in the past in that respect, but why don't we have lay readers? Because what is your job as the laity? To listen. To listen. Um, your job is to listen, which is an, an an important job. This is when you start to understand the liturgy, you you start to realize that all of the things that are yours to do in the liturgy, even something as simple as sitting there and listening. It's incredibly important, every part you have to play. So um, every, you know, at some churches, people get upset and they say, and not really here, so I'm not, this is not a home example, just a general one. Say, well, there's not enough opportunity for me to participate. Say, there's a whole book for you to participate. You just have a different job to do than the pastor. And you don't go to McDonald's and order your meal and then get mad at them because they didn't give you enough opportunity to participate in making your cheeseburger, do you? No, it's that you go there and you're playing a role, uh, but the other person has a job to do too. And the Lord has demarcated the specific jobs of the people in his church. And the priesthood, the apostolic office, the office of the ministry has been charged with specific things. And the laity also is in its own way an office that is charged with its own thing. Here, the Lord will speak, and how does the Lord speak? Through the Word. Yes. Through the pastor. Yes. But it's right, through the Word, and the Word comes from the mouth of the pastor. So the Lord speaks, I, like I said last week, I am Jesus to you, according to the function of my office. If you see me at the grocery store in a t-shirt and shorts and flip-flops, don't get down and say, oh, hi, Jesus, because that's, you know. But, but when I come and I absolve your sins or I proclaim a sermon, even, you know, even a sermon that I sit down and think about and study and then write, I'll never claim it as my own because it isn't. Because somehow, you know, once in a rare while, I'll get a sermon done and then I'll look at it on a Saturday and think, this whole thing is garbage. And I thought it was really great on Friday, but now it's really bad. And I'll completely write a different sermon. And then that's the thing that ends up being what people needed to hear. But I have no way of knowing that. There is sort of a divine work in the office so that when I'm speaking to you, when I'm administering the sacrament, when I'm doing these things by virtue of my office, it is as if Christ is doing it to you himself because he is. Okay. Um, so we need to talk a little bit about law and gospel. Uh, the confessions say all scripture should be divided into these two chief doctrines, the law and the promises. And that's, um, that's nice that it is the promises, but also the gospel. So you see what, you know, in part what the definition of gospel is, is the gospel is the promises of God. And of course, I say to you that the gospel is the what? 
This is review from a long time ago. Gospel is the touch, touch of Jesus. Yes, the gospel is the touch of Jesus. And they're not um, contradictory. What is, what is the promise of God? Jesus. Jesus. So the touch of Jesus is the promises of God made manifest. Again, you have to ask the question, what does it look like? What do the promises of God look like? Because it's never enough to say God makes a promise. You can make a promise to your child and say, I will take you to get ice cream. But what does that promise look like? Going, Going and getting ice cream. The promise doesn't mean anything apart from its fulfillment. So if you say, we'll get ice cream, and then you don't get ice cream, well, what does your promise look like? A big old failure. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Okay, so uh, Jesus is the manifestation of the promises of God, and he is the fulfillment of the promises of God. So when we talk about the, the, the gospel um, as the touch of Christ, well, that's really it. Okay? So two things are important here. One, um, law and gospel are not separate parts of Scripture. I don't like it when they're, when they're taught as parts. Because there is a school of thought in the Lutheran Church that I am vehemently opposed to that says, you know, I can open up my Bible, we can do it. Well, let's just do it right now. I'm going to open to a, a random passage. Um, here we go. Second Chronicles 6, verse 28. When there is famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemies besiege them in the land of their cities, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows his own burden and his own grief and spreads out his hands to the temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and give to everyone according to all his ways whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts and sons of men that they may fear you to walk in your ways as long as they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. Law or gospel? Yeah, see, um, if, you're, if you haven't been in Bible class, anytime a pastor says, is this law or is this gospel, they are either being serious, and if they're being serious, they are hor horribly uh, misinformed, even if they are being sincere, or, more commonly, at least here, it's a trick question. Because you can't, you can't pit the two against and there is a school of thought that, that does say, um, well-meaning as it is, but falsely, if I look at scripture, then I can say that this part of it is the law, and, and then this part of it is the gospel. And I can divide it into parts. I can look at a passage and I can say, well, this part of the passage is law, or this part is gospel. Or I can say, well, this whole passage is a law passage, or this is a gospel passage. But you know, there are really good examples of law and gospel working together, like in the Psalms, when the, the psalmist says, O Lord, I long for the day when I see the destruction of my enemies and, and them being condemned to Sheol. And then you say, well, boy, is that law or is it gospel? I don't know. Depends on what side of the damnation you're on. Because if you're the one who's being damned to Sheol, then it's pretty harsh law for you. But if you're the one who is being oppressed by those and the Lord comes and delivers you, well, then that's nothing but pure gospel. So the point that I'm trying to make here is law and gospel are not two different parts. They are two doctrines. They are, it's like saying, well, when I, when I look at this quarter, is it heads or is it, is it a heads quarter or is it a tails quarter? How do you answer the question? Depends on which side you're looking at. It depends on which side you're looking at. If I flip a coin and if I flip that quarter and it lands heads, then do I say the entire coin is heads? 
No, I just say I'm interacting with the heads right now. But if I flip it in its tails, I say I'm interacting with tails. So whatever side of the coin you are on or interacting with or looking at, um, but it's still the same coin. You can't divide the one from the other. If you cut a quarter in half, cut the heads part away from the tails part, and you go to try and spend it, are they going to take your quarter? They're not, because it's not a quarter. See, the same thing is with the Word of God. So if you try and separate the law part from the gospel part, uh, is that currency? Is that going to be accepted? Is that your quarter? No, it isn't. It's nothing. You've, you've severed it. You've destroyed it. It is, it is not legal tender anymore. It's nothing. So law and gospel go together. They are two sides of the same coin, or rather, and this is, the, this is where I'm getting at, they are two sides of the same sword. Because how is the Word of God described? Think about Peter's epistle. The Word of God is living. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. So what do you do if you, have a, if you only have a sword that has one edge? What is that sword really good for? Think about like an axe. If you have an axe, it's really good for one thing and one thing only, and that's going in one direction. A sword with only one edge is not good for stabbing. It's, it's only good for being swung in one direction for one purpose, but a sword with two edges can go in and it can cut this way or it can cut this way, whichever way it needs to cut. The, the Word of God is a double-edged sword. It pierces through to the heart and it cuts one way or it cuts another way. There's two edges because it's a sword that goes both ways. Law, it can go a law way and it can go a gospel way. Uh, so law and gospel, uh, they don't exist separately. They are together as part of an interconnected whole that is scripture. So the word does two things at the same time and that is it preaches against sin and it points to the flesh and blood of Jesus and directs you to the place where you get Jesus' touch. But it does it all at the same time. <clears throat> um, so let's, I've got a handout here to look at. Um, and then we've, then we've got to zoom. Um, here, you can pass this around. Now this is a diagram. I want you to remember this. Every word can work two ways. And the greatest example of this is the Grand Canyon. When you go to the Grand Canyon, and there's a big yellow line that says, do not take photos beyond yellow line. Is that law or is that gospel? Both. Yes. And what is the determining factor? The yellow line. The yellow line. Are you behind the yellow line? If so, that's gospel because you say, oh, thanks be to God. You're caring for me. You're, you're protecting me. But if it's... If you're beyond the yellow line, then it becomes law because it is, oh, you're doing something bad. Don't take pictures beyond the yellow line. But again, this is the other thing. What is the motivation behind either one of those? Whether it's law when you're across the line or whether it's gospel when you are standing behind it like a good boy or girl. What is the motivation? Keeping people from falling. To keep people from falling, to care for people, yes. Yes, but I, I want one word. You can, give it this, you can give this to me in a one word answer. Uh. Love. It is love. The motivation is love. Not you know, the sappy sentimentality of, I love you, I don't want you to go over the edge. It's, it's, it's love for you as a person. I love you and that means I only want what's good for you, which is the way Jesus talks. Hey, I love you. 
I don't want you to go put your nose in a meat slicer. That's bad for you. And he said, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And he says, well, you know, maybe it will be. I don't see how it could, but maybe it will be. But just because it's fun doesn't mean, mean that it's good. Anybody who was ever a child knows that. There's tons of fun stuff that's not good. <laughs> I, I have a friend, my best friend in all the world grew up in um, Hoagland, Indiana, which is right outside of Fort Wayne. And it's just kind of, there's nothing there. And, and of course, you know, I liked Fort Wayne fine enough, but there's nothing in Indiana. And uh, so he said, yeah, you know, when we, my, all my high school buddies and I, on a Friday night, what we used to do is we would go to the grocery store and buy a bunch of bug spray and spray paint, and then we'd have a big bonfire and we'd just throw the cans into the fire and watch them blow up. So that's what we did. <laughs> so, was it fun? Yeah! Was it good? No! <laughs> There's lots of stuff that's fun that's not good. And Jesus is not trying to be a buzzkill. Uh, he's trying to protect you. you know, everybody did that. <laughs> everybody in some parts of the country. <laughs> uh, everybody has sort of their own things. You know? I used to go out. I used to go out on backcountry roads in my big uh, Toyota 4Runner with all-terrain tires and no traction control, and I would go drifting in the snow, snow beds, and boy, when my mom found out about that, oh, man. Then my dad found out about it, and he was mad, too, until he borrowed the truck, and then he was real sheepish when he came to return it, and he said, yeah, it was actually pretty fun. <laughs> Oh, my. you never just, you never quite grow up, which is why you always need Jesus telling you, uh, 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 that's not good for you. There are many other fun things that you can do that are much better for you than this. Uh, of course, that's one of those, you like, when you're out at the store and you say, well, can we get these? And everyone says, no, we have those at home. And you think, yeah, but the ones we have at home aren't the good ones like this. <laughs> it's a, well, Jesus, but the fun we have at home isn't the fun fun. Um, so here's where it begins. It always, always begins with the eternal word, and that is Christ. And what does Christ do? He speaks. The word speaks. And what does the word speak? He speaks words. So how does he speak? Obviously, he speaks in his flesh and blood um, when he is, uh, you know, performing his ministry. He also speaks in a fleshly way um, by the means of his holy office and by the scriptures. So in a certain sense, the scriptures are also the flesh and blood of Jesus, just not in the same way that they are. It's, so like the scripture are, is like the throat and the tongue and the mouth and the vocal cords of Jesus. And then you go to, you go to communion and it's the... The, the, the meat of Jesus. Oh, that sounds horrible. The, the flesh and blood of Jesus. <laughs> I thought it was going to sound kind of funny, and then I said it, and I just, ooh, something just sounds kind of sacrilegious. Uh, so, uh, so the word speaks, and he always speaks through means and in a concrete way. That's why when you're confessing through prayer, it is very often a better thing to confess to your pastor uh, to, to Christ in that way because there is the actual flesh and blood. You're, you're the physical encounter with Christ. So the word speaks words and then when you get to that point, here are the words that he's giving you and they're just words. Now think of the Garden of Eden. When the Lord says, don't eat of this, don't eat of this tree, is that law or gospel? Is it? It's neither. <laughs> yes, another one for me! <laughs> It's, it's neither, and here's why. 
because before the fall, there isn't law or gospel. There is only word. Yeah. I like to use trick questions because this is how you learn because you'll never make that same mistake again. <laughs> it's almost worth coming through catechumen again with people who haven't done it so that when I ask these same questions, you can sit there going. <laughs> Which is why I keep asking them because it's always fun for me. <laughs> All right, so there's nothing in Eden but the word. And how do they live? By the word. Think about that. They live by the word. And all there is, is word. And the word is how they encounter the Lord. And when they fall, it is the word who walks in the garden. You can't walk without feet and legs. Who feels the cool breeze of the day. You can't feel without a body to have the wind hit. And who speaks to them with a mouth. They encounter the word, and they live by the word. And that you, in the very real sense, continue to do that. You live by the word. Um, you know, in the temptation of Christ, Jesus says, uh, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Well, what is the word that proceeds from the mouth of God? Jesus. Jesus. You live by the word, and the word is Christ, the person. So now, he's given you word. And it's sort of like we're back in Eden now. There's the split second where you have the word and the word is given to you and you have to stop and say, this is nothing except for the word of God. But then it, you know, that's like right before it hits you and then it hits you and then the spirit is the one who decides, is, does this need to be law for you or does it need to be gospel for you? And the spirit is the one who works, which is why I don't write, when, you know, I don't write a sermon and say, well, I'm going to write a law sermon today, or I'm going to write a gospel sermon today. It's, I'm going to write a sermon today, and I'm going to preach the text, and I'm going to preach the day. And some people come out going, what a beautiful gospel message, and other people come out going, you really hit me where I needed to be hit. And I think, I said exactly the same words to both of you, but somehow the words worked differently on you, and that's the spirit that is doing that. The spirit is the one who divides the word, not man. So here it is. If you agree, which is the word of faith, that is that you obey, you follow Jesus, you do what Jesus does, you say amen, then it is the gospel. And what does the gospel do? Well, it forgives you. Yeah. And then here, if you disagree, which is to rebel, which is to live in sin, which is to say no thanks to Jesus, which is to flee from him, well, then it is law. And the law will always accuse. And this is something that Lutherans, modern Lutherans are really big on, the idea of lex semper accusat, the law always accuses. Does the law always accuse? Yes. Yes, because as long as you sin, the law will always con um, the law will always accuse. But think about, and this is where we'll end today. But think about what Jesus says to the uh, to the woman caught in adultery. Where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? Did they have every right to accuse her? Yes, although it's kind of sleazy because how do you catch someone in the act of adultery? Yeah, I mean, what's, what's the bigger sin? Peeping through a window or, or committing adultery? I don't know. I'll let the Lord be the judge of that. But I think Jesus made a good point when he said, yeah, okay, which, whichever one of you is without sin, you just go ahead. Which one of you was peeping through the windows to find her and catch her in the act, you know? And that's why I love it because it said, well, we she was caught in the act of adultery, O Lord, caught in the very act. And he said, oh, you know, and it's like, Mom, he was praying with his eyes open. Yeah? How do you know? <laughs>
caught in the act. Okay? Um, so does no one condemn you? Yeah, every, you're accused. And Jesus is not going to deny the accusation. Were you caught in adultery? Yeah. A good confession is when you have nothing else to say. Yes, I, I was. Okay. But do I condemn you? No. Nobody condemns you and neither do I. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Paul writes that in the, his epistle to the Romans. There's no condemnation. Lex semper accuse it. The law will always accuse. But guess what? It's not going to condemn. It can accuse all it wants. And you need to be accused. But it's not going to condemn. Okay? So this is the way to think about the word. Every word works two ways, um, either a law way or a gospel way. Read scripture with that in mind when you start reading that, like the Psalms. When you pray the Psalms, that's a really great place to start thinking about every word works in two ways. Because all of a sudden, scripture, there's like a whole other door of scripture that's opened where you think, I was really bothered by this passage, but now all of a sudden it's comforting. Or this was a comforting passage, but now that I think it could be used a law way, that can be sort of a scary passage if I'm not with Christ. You know? So uh, every word works two ways, and that's law and gospel. All right, any quick questions about that? We'll talk some more next week about the Ten Commandments and what I, you know, the, the preview for that is the Ten Commandments are gospel and the Ten Commandments are to be your greatest friend, not your worst enemy. So come back next week. <laughs> All right. Very good. Yeah, for the rest of the story. Okay. Um, let us depart in the peace and joy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come to the prayer service and uh, stay for lunch.